Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. 16 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on what looks like right now, at least, for those of you just getting up, a decent sunrise here in Indianapolis. We might actually see the sun for the second straight day, which is good. Happy holiday season to you. If Hanukkah is what you are celebrating, happy Hanukkah. I believe that we are in day two or three. Kwanzaa this week as well? That celebration. Mm -hmm. Kwanzaa, I believe that is correct this week. So whatever it might be that you celebrate. um, And safe travels this week. Sounds like Kevin's getting his white Christmas, too. Maybe too much. I know. Yeah, be careful what you uh, what you wish for. But yeah, it definitely sounds like later this week things could get dicey. So I know it's a busy, busy travel week for a lot of people. So Kevin wanted white Christmas. Now two feet of snow is are, coming. Are you going to Chicago, Mark? <laughs> yeah, Thursday afternoon. So that'll be fun. And then what's the forecast in Chicago? Like two feet of snow. Is it really? Yeah, it's like it's like I think twelve to eighteen inches from Thursday to like Friday night. And then my wife, my mom's like, when are, you, when are you coming in? I'm like, well, Thursday. She's like, why don't you wait till Friday? I'm like, because Friday's worse, Mom. It doesn't look too good on Friday. Friday's no better. And then, yeah, it looks like there's going to be even more Saturday and Sunday. So, Yeah, I just said a light Should dusting, but I guess be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Well, but it's not up. supposed to be. So in the Indianapolis area, is it supposed to snow significantly? I think we're supposed to get a decent amount here, too. On Thursday, though, right? Not, Or, I mean, on Friday, not Saturday, correct? That's the forecast I saw, yeah. Okay. Late late Thursday, mostly on Friday. So you called it the winter bomb, though? That's what's coming here? That's what Brian Wilkes called it, I think, right? He has catchy names for everything. Um, but I guess it's good news the Colts don't play till Monday from a transportation standpoint to the stadium and a, you know, get workers to the stadium. Monday night football, Colts and Chargers. Sounds like Jonathan Taylor will be shut down for the rest of the season. Jake... If you were to have a player of Taylor's career so far, three years into it, all pro within that stretch, led the league in his individual category of rushing last season, great, great pro off the field, the injury that he is suffering through is not a torn Achilles or a torn ACL, everything would indicate you give that guy a very nice contract extension this coming offseason. Chris Ballard precedent would indicate that. and Remember, he extended Naheem Hines. Uh, in a very similar time frame, after that third year of his rookie contract right before the fourth season. So that means Taylor is due for a big payday this offseason. I think for several reasons, you've got to be cautious about handing Taylor that sort of contract. Um, The injury has caused him to miss time three different occasions this season. That's rare. Um it's an ankle for a running back. Again, that's not an Achilles or an ACL, but I don't know. Maybe the Shaquille Leonard stuff kind of creates some scar tissue for me. But I think you have to have some pause there. And a couple other Taylor elements, I think, just to keep an eye on. And maybe I'm being overly critical here. Uh, and it's probably a little bit of how I view the running back position. But Jake, he had some fumble issues this year that I don't think you could ignore. That was a question coming out of Wisconsin. And also, he doesn't really help you out on third down. And when you're a running back, the highest paid guys, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, they help you out in the passing game. Jonathan Taylor's had issues in pass protection, and he's not just this dynamic receiving threat out of the backfield. So I think for all those reasons, I would be extremely cautious in handing him the type of contract that I'd assume his representation believes he deserves. I wouldn't do it. I've said that before. I wouldn't do it. I think you, he's a, you would let him walk? I would. I think he's a wonderful player. So why draft him in the second round if that's going to be the plan after three years, you know? Understood. It's kind of a waste of a pick. I think that he... I think he's been a very good player for them. But he's been a very good player. He is at a luxury, quite frankly. At a luxury, because you can have that really good player, but if you don't have everything else around it, it doesn't it doesn't make a difference. As evidenced by the fact that he was the leading rusher in the league and that did not allow them to get where they wanted to go. And they've regressed, quite frankly. 
the fact that I would not extend Jonathan Taylor is at no fault. As a matter of fact, it's probably a credit to Jonathan Taylor because he has played to the level where he demands and you know the amount of money that that he would command. I just feel like the Colts are better served spending that money elsewhere, number one. Number two, I, I say that, though, and I'm going to contradict myself here a little bit. I don't know that he that he gets that money elsewhere because I don't know how valued that position is. I just don't. And what he well, brings particularly to the table. his style, Jake. That's Again, what I mean. If you look exactly, at the highest totally paid agree. running backs, they're receiving threats. He's not necessarily Correct. that. You know, Ezekiel Elliott obviously got a big deal, but that was several years ago. Taylor falls more into that category and less in the Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara He's a, sort of category. Kevin, and, and listen, I am well aware of the fact that people tire of hearing me do two things. Number one is say the word listen, and number two is make bad analogies. I, I, I get it, but sometimes it's it's the only way that I know to try to illustrate something. To me, the... The the Colts are like a house that they're getting ready to put on the market, or for that matter, a house that they're just simply trying to make of, able to move into. And the areas of need are, you know, the exterior shingles, one of the bathroom pipes, and the furnace. Very critical pieces still need to be addressed. Jonathan Taylor is the really nice deck with a hot tub out back. It's a wonderful luxury to have. But if you have to start fixing things, it's the last one that that realistically you would look at because your money needs to go elsewhere. For the Colts, I just feel like there are too many issues that they have that they have not addressed. A quarterback being first and foremost. And then offensive line clearly still needs help. And, you know, linebacker, I, which is a position that I think is devalued a little bit in terms of like the the old traditional, like I've got a Jack Lambert in the middle type linebacker, but Shaquille Leonard's been a very good player. But he hadn't played all year, and, and I don't know that there's a guarantee that he ever returns to the form that we saw. There are just too many areas to me. Jonathan Taylor's a wonderful, wonderful player, but they, they rode him to... A lot of highlights and a great win in New England and, and other such things, but I think that priced him out of what they then should be willing to spend to retain him. Christian yeah. McCaffrey, $16 million. That's the highest paid, right? Yeah. Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, $15 million. Dalvin Cook, 12.6. Derek Henry, 12.5. Nick Chubb, 12.2. Aaron Jones, $12 million. That's like what you're looking at for like a new Jonathan Taylor contract. And, and again, I. And I've said this for several years now. I would not be drafting a running back till day three. That would be kind of my philosophy. Yeah, I totally agree. If I were it's the most fungible position in the NFL. Because when you draft guys round one, two, or three, what you're saying is, we think you are a pillar player. We think we want you here for six to eight years, at least. Um, that's the goal. And Jake, to your point, if Jonathan Taylor played any other position and he had the career that he's had so far, you would say, extend him. But he just plays that one position where there's a hesitancy to. And again, we're talking about a guy that didn't tear his Achilles like Marlon Mack did at the end of his rookie deal. Um, so I'm very curious to see how Chris Ballard will handle that because Ballard is long, assuming Ballard's still here, uh, Ballard has long said um, position value what, what, doesn't matter money wise. You pay good players no matter where they play. What are the three big, well, they've only had four, but what were the most impressive Colts performances this year? Well, definitely Jacksonville at home. Easily the best offensive effort of the year. Okay. Um, I, I would say Kansas City got a lot of help, but certainly your defense is outstanding. Okay, against Kansas City, Jonathan Taylor had 71 yards, right? Uh, and that Jacksonville, did he play in the Jacksonville game? They won two games without him. Yeah. I, I'm trying I to think which ones. Was the, it Denver they won without him and Jacksonville? Does that sound right? Is that when they went up, up tempo? Yeah, and they... You can look at it two ways, Jake. They were 2-1 and one without him. They got 42 yards out of Deion Jackson when they beat Jacksonville. Now, to be fair, they also had their worst offensive performance in the history of the Indianapolis Colts against New England when he didn't play. Right. So, you, you can look at it both ways. Um, again, I do think it's the most replaceable position on a team. But, right. I, again, super curious to see 
how, assuming Ballard is here, how he handles Taylor and how he handles Pittman and those contract extensions because those are two guys that if Ballard follows his past precedent, whether it was Darius Leonard, whether it was Braden Smith, whether it was Naheem Hines, if you perform well on that rookie deal, this is the offseason. This upcoming offseason is when those guys get contract extensions. Boy, gosh, it does look like another nice morning here. If you had a young quarterback next year, which would you rather have for them to help acclimate them to the NFL? Jonathan Taylor behind him or Michael Pittman to throw to? Yeah, probably Pittman. I mean, that's something else to consider, right? Yeah, and again, so much of that is more to do with just the position that guy plays. I know Pittman has had some frustrating moments this season, and he definitely has. I also think just, again, how much does the lack of support around a Taylor and or a Pittman, has that impacted their seasons? Like, if you look at Taylor's numbers, his yards per carry down a full yard. Um, His yards per game is down like 30 yards. It's not like his carries have dwindled that much this season. Um, How much of that is a byproduct of the Colts can't throw the ball from me to Mark? Yeah, I mean, I, I... And I'm curious if Matt Ryan will get benched this week. Jeff Saturday, extremely noncommittal earlier this week. It feels like that could happen. We, 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 I think we could see. I think there's a chance we see Nick Foles Monday night. Does Matt Ryan, is there a team in the league that would take him next year? This has to be it, right? Are the Colts the only team in the NFL, because of the fact that they signed him, that would be dumb enough to roll out Matt Ryan next year? Yeah, you would hope not, but again, the NFL, what, we see Brett Rippon starting? Is that who you're saying coming Mm -hmm. up on Sunday? But with that financial tag, no way. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's Greg Rakestraw's theme music. Should be if it isn't. Has a feel to it. Uh, Greg Rakestraw joins us now. Again, no show on Friday, so uh, Rake, very nicely obliged to move up a little bit earlier in the week. Rick, I, I know we get into hyperbole with sporting events a lot, but your expertise we'll rely on here. It seemed like that World Cup will go down as one of the greatest ever, if not the greatest, when you think of the teams, the individual players, and the match living up to all of it. I would agree in terms of finals are concerned, and the entirety of the World Cup uh, was, was pretty well played. Uh, and we knew when we got... France and Argentina, you know, the storylines were, were pretty rich. And you have Kylian Mbappe doing what he did for France in a losing effort as kind of the next generation superstar. Uh, and, and you know, I, I feel the voice of like John Facenda, like one for the master. Like that was the last thing that Lionel Messi had to accomplish in his career mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, doesn't really, he was going to be great regardless of it, but it just checks off that career box for him. And the amount of non-soccer people that say, man, I, I couldn't take my eyes off that World Cup final. That's one of the best things to happen for this sport in this country, knowing the next time that that happens on that stage He'll be playing right here in the United States in July of 2026. Yeah, I mean, a compliment of like, I didn't want that game to end. You know, that's like, <laughs> I feel like the ultimate compliment you give a sporting event. I did have one more on the World Cup front. Um, it's coming here in 2026, the next Men's World Cup here, a little bit of Mexico, a little bit of Canada. Were we ever thought to be a potential to host a game here in Indianapolis? Obviously, we are used to hosting anything and everything, but was there any kind of serious thought, either from our city or from whoever decides those venues that Indy could have been one of the United States hosting sites? No, because we can't, we, we can't properly do grass. And, and, I mean, there was the one professional-level match that was played August 1st, 2013 of 
of Inter Milan and Chelsea, the exhibition. Obviously, the Indy 11 played there, but played on turf, you know, for three years. But when that Chelsea Inter Milan match took place, they brought in Sod, and it, it it just didn't stick well. There's no way, you know. Now you've got a stadium like, um, you know, the one in Phoenix or Glendale that can play on turf, but you can slide in the grass as well. Uh, and because those matches have to be played on grass, there's no true way to do that at Lucas Oil Stadium. So I think that pretty much knocked us out from the early stages. Here's my dumb guy soccer question of the day. Um, Mbappe plays professionally in Paris, correct? Correct. When I think of top, and I, I, I get that each nation has their own league and then they do the Euro Cup. I mean, I get it. But when I think of the top soccer clubs in Europe, Obviously, you know, I know that Barcelona has a great team. Real Madrid is great. But I think of like Spain, England. I don't think of the French League as being as premier in terms of the international eyes and attention as like the English leagues or Spanish. Am I dumb in saying, am I dumb in asking if he will eventually leave France? And I don't mean the country, but to play professionally in one of those teams. No, you're 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 no, you're more soccer knowledgeable than you let on uh, by that. Uh, he plays for PSG, which is the Nouveau Riche club uh, in 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 Paris, and the French league would be the fifth best league of the European leagues. I would probably rate it England one, Bundesliga Germany two, um, Serie A, the Italian league three, La Liga, the Spanish league four, and then League One, the French league, would be fifth. But PSG is as well funded as as any team on the planet. They're the team that has spent money on Neymar and spent money to get Messi at the tail end of his career and 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 spent money to get Kylian Mbappe. So, you know, does he play in the best league? No. Does he play on one of the best teams? Yes. And is PSG's goal every year to go out and win the Champions League? Yes. And they just haven't done it yet. Um, and so. Could he end up at a Barca or Real Madrid or an English superpower at some point in time? Absolutely he could, but in terms of the team he plays for now, um, there's nobody that's more well-funded than PSG is. Kenny's Greg Gregstraw, ISC Sports Network. He was in this studio on Saturday afternoon, Colts postgame show host. I was thinking about your rake on Saturday, uh, but I thought to myself, as the game continued to spill in, I swear it went to 5 o'clock. Maybe I was imagining things. You probably didn't have time for a whole lot of calls, right? That is correct. So um, when the game goes to overtime, uh, my show gets very compressed. You are spot on on your timing. That was a long game of ended in regulation. Uh, If that game ended in regulation, we would have started at about 4.30, 4.35, and... It would have been a, a, a bit of a, of a more compacted show. We would, have, we would have taken breaks every kind of eight or nine minutes. I didn't get it until 5.10, and I had nine commercial breaks again between 5.10 and 6 o'clock. And we always try to make sure we hit our network out on time to get it back to our you know local affiliates. Well, that was even especially the case on Saturday because I'm sure we had several stations that were going from our game to the Purdue game or were going from our game to their local high school game that night. And so I, I think I got it back to him at 6.03. So even then I couldn't hit that number of breaks in that amount of time. But no, we did not take a single telephone call until 6 o'clock in the local hour because there simply were too many spots I had to make up. You know, I was saying yesterday, the season to me has turned from extremely disappointing to, I think, the most embarrassing in Jim Irsay's ownership. Um, I had a question asked yesterday and... I almost I'm not asking you to debate the answer. It, to me, it's more of a reflection of where you're at as a franchise. The question was, what's the more embarrassing loss that this franchise has suffered in the last calendar year? What happened on Sun or uh, Saturday in Minnesota, or what happened in Jacksonville to end last year? And again, debating that question is not the path I want to go down. It's more of if you're Jim Mercey, Rake, the fact that that question's even being asked. What does that say about where you're at as a franchise right now? That's a pretty good perspective to have. Uh, to answer your question, it would be the Jacksonville game because you had so much more at stake. Um, nothing is going to make you feel good about Saturday or or make it more palatable 
but it is easier to kind of put that in the rearview mirror, despite the historic nature of it, because this team wasn't going to be a playoff team anyway. And I know that mathematically they're still alive. I know the scenario that exists that could lead them to the AFC South Championship. I don't think that's going to happen. Didn't think that was going to happen before the Minnesota game, regardless of what was going to happen. But the fact that you could even have that discussion or debate, and those two things happen within 365 days of each other, it's not a good place for this franchise to be in right now, that's for sure. Greg, what frustrates me, there have been years where you can look at a disappointing season and say, you know, it just was at no fault of theirs. Guys got hurt in fluke ways. The schedule was weird. They had this situation with weather where they got diverted, you know, whatever. Um, To me this year, and I want you to tell me if I'm being too critical, virtually everything that's happened with the Colts, sparing maybe the Shaquille Leonard absence, but virtually everything that's happened with them has been self-inflicted. Yeah, no, I get it. There, 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 there are no of those qualifiers this year. Uh, and even with Shaquille Leonard's injury and with Jonathan Taylor's couple of injury stints, this is a team that has been largely healthy. Um, the schedule has not been easy, but it has not been overly tough. I, I haven't even looked at the strength of schedule rating for the Colts. I imagine it's somewhere in the middle uh, of, of the National Football League in terms of their you know, caliber of opponents. And again, you play in a division where the team that's in first place, I don't think they've won in a month, and you're still two and a half games out with with three games left to play. So no, there are no mitigating factors here. There are no extenuating circumstances here. Um, they've not just been complicit in their own demise. They seemingly have engineered their own demise. So, yet again, your point is well made and well taken. Uh, Shaquille Leonard, Jonathan Taylor, the one that is more easily replaceable by those currently on the roster would be which? And we've had a pretty good body of evidence with both. Um, if you had to pick one or the other that you would lock in, who would it be? I'd probably lock in Jonathan Taylor just because of the injury history of Shaquille Leonard. Right. And again, let's face it, Shaquille Leonard is, is largely locked in with his contract status. I think it is easier to replace a running back than it is a linebacker. Um, although, given how little Shaquille has played this year and how typically solid um, Zaire Franklin, Bobby O'Karake, EJ Speed have been, I would say history would say it would be easier to replace Shaquille Leonard. Um, so there's a couple of mitigating factors and circumstances in there. Um, but, but I think I would pick Shaquille Leonard just because of our, you know, that's the guy that, that history has shown you could replace, um, just because again, so there's some mitigating circumstances. There. Yeah. That injury is just so awkward and has you know, lingered for several years. I am curious to see if EJ speed gets a starting opportunity in free agency. You feel like that guy makes plays every time he's out there again. Greg Rakestraw is with us. ISC sports network, uh, interested to hear rakes kind of Christmas plans around the basketball, um, season. I have a feeling some hall of fame classic could be on his schedule. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, Rake, if you're Jeff Saturday, you get back on the practice field tomorrow. Is Matt Ryan still your starting quarterback? Uh, it wouldn't be for me, but I would have made that determination uh, last week uh, and, and, and gone to Sam Ellinger, and they did not. So, again, uh, I said this numerous times on, on, on numerous shows. Once you got past the bye week at 4-8-1, it would have been, let's play the young guys. And that's not tanking. That is wanting to see exactly what is on your roster, what you got, and that applies to Sam Ellinger, Mike Strawn. I know Mike was was concussed in practice last week and 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 you know couldn't couldn't play. But Desmond Pappen, Nick Cross, Bernard Ryman, who obviously is playing, yeah, uh, Milo Dangbo, who obviously is playing as well. But I want to see those first and second year guys. And I know I'm going to have a contract for some time. I want to know exactly what I've got. So I want to know exactly what my free agent needs are and exactly what my draft needs are. Uh, and so it would it would have been Ellinger if it were me last week. And because it wasn't him last week, I'm not sure it's going to be him this week either. Greg, you did, what, three preseason games? They only played three this year, didn't they? Or did they do four? That is correct. Yes, sir. So you did three of them on TV. You have now done, what, 14 regular season post-game shows? Mm-hmm. What name would you say that you called the most that most 
a year ago would have surprised you to say, I talked about that guy far more in a positive way, I mean. In other words, who is the guy that in a year where we have been so negative about the Colts that you would say kudos to him, he really has answered the bell and played well for them? You know, the, the guy that, that I would say, you know, uh, you notice something was there during the preseason and it has translated is Dallas Flowers. Um, you know, and, w- Dallas was very much an extra piece. Uh, and, and when you have a 90-man roster, you know, you've got that. You've got guys take flyers on. Dallas was a guy that played at the Division two at NAI level. And I simply remember the play he made on intercepting a two-point conversion in Buffalo in the second half in the first preseason game, I go, huh, interesting. And, and as I'm doing my research on him for further games, you go, okay, guys returned multiple kicks for touchdowns during his college days. You know, there's something there. And obviously, he has popped on special teams. He got some more reps as a cornerback last week. So to answer that question, Dallas Flowers' name is the first one that comes to mind. Kevin, who was on Dallas Flowers early? Who was the guy You that were all said, about the gorillas of Pittsburgh I'm State. telling you, this is the guy that they need to put on the roster because he's going to make plays when his number's called. Who I'm said I'm that I'm back in my office? By the reaction that Jake is having, that Mark Dykton was that person. Right, yeah. You <laughs> got it. He, 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 you've you never know. heard Jake try to get that ego even bigger than it already is, right, I Gabby? strain my shoulder muscles on the regular, patting myself on the back, and I'll do it again. I do think Isaiah Rogers and Flowers both have been big sparks on that special teams unit. Bubba Ventrone continues to impress with that group. Um, Rick, do want to end with a little bit of basketball. Um, Give me the pronunciation of the Kokomo kid. Flory Badunga? Flory Badunga. We went with Badunga last year. Okay. And Flory, English is his fourth best language. He's very fluent at that, too. Uh, he said, "Nice, actually, Badunga." So, and I finally get to call one of his games tonight. So, those of their Comcast subscribers, you see it on Comcast eighty one. It's a free stream. ISCSportsNetwork.com, our Twitter, our YouTube. Uh, Jake would say the same place you would find Query and Schultz. That's right. Um, we'll have Kokomo and Zionsville. Should be a great game. Again, Florida will have a, a good you know, a combatant tonight in Nick Rehart, six nine center, who's going to play at Charlotte next year. Kind of a, a true old school post player. Uh, Flory was very impressive. Did not have the same offensive night he's been having against Carmel, but had the same defensive night uh, against Carmel. Uh, Flory's averaging 20 points a game, 13 and a half boards a game, which is second best in the state. But here's the here's the jaw dropping stat: he is averaging 5.9 blocks per game, which is number one in the state of Indiana. And he's uh, a junior. Is that right? He is a junior, yes, and 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 Kokomo is is filling that gym, which is oh, the atmospheres look awesome. I mean, Tom yeah. Izzo was at the Kokomo girls game last week, right? <laughs> because they play Friday night boy girl doubleheader, so yes, he had to he had to get there for the girls game at six o'clock as well. I have been told that that uh, John Calipari could be at tonight's game, uh, and so we'll we'll see if that plays out. And doesn't he have a connection? It's Flory Badunga, right? Is how you say his last name? Badunga. Badunga, sorry. Flory Badunga. Doesn't he have, I, I don't know where I heard this, maybe it's complete hyperbole, I don't know. He has a like a familial or like a sponsor connection to the University of Cincinnati, right? That is correct. So so Flory is, is you know, has a connection to the Adams family. Go ahead and make your joke. Snap your fingers, Jake. Go ahead. That's right. Uh, but the, 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 the Adams family that is very well connected into AAU circles. Uh, and so, yes, there is a connection there. So anybody that knows the Adams group from AAU uh, has a connection to Flory Badunga. It's part of the, again, his play is the main reason why every school in the nation wants him. But so many folks in the, in the, in the college basketball circles have dealt with a member of the Adams family in terms of, whether it's coaching, recruiting, et cetera. So Flory is, is, is in with a well-connected group, let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, the story's pretty remarkable how he got to Kokomo. Seems like a really good kid. Rake, you, you watch these highlights. Boy, it's not full-on Greg Oden, but it's like a notch below. I mean, some of the highlights, it's like this kid's just playing a different game than everybody else out on the floor from an athleticism standpoint. Correct. And again, he's about three inches shorter than Greg. Right. He's listed at six foot ten in the program. A lot of recruiting folks think he's really about six foot nine, but that's more than tall enough the way the, the game is played these days. 
and the amount of ground he can cover in a short amount of time um, and the way that his teammates simply know, hey, we get into a fast break scenario or we get into a half court, throw it up to the rim, Flory's the guy that is going to go get it. Um, that's that's pretty jaw-dropping to watch. Ryan goes, what's crazy about Flory is against McCutcheon, he had zero blocks because they didn't shoot within eight feet because they wouldn't challenge right. him, and he's still averaging six blocks per game. And, that, and, and, and again, I, I saw a little Twitter feedback because the first game we did of, of Kokomo's, and we ended up doing a bunch of them in December, we're going to do their holiday tournament next week as well. Um, you know, it was it, 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 hey, look who he's doing it against. Well, he put up some pretty impressive numbers against Zane Dowdy and Ben Davis in the number one team in the state, and that game was December the 3rd. And that's why I point out that this game tonight, you know, Zionsville is a good team. Uh, they're 5-3. and three. Their loss has all been to other, you know, kind of top 10 teams. Zionsville has two Division One starters. You know, Logan Ives is going to play at Penn State for Micah Shrewsbury. The Rehart kids are going to play at Charlotte. Zionsville are really deep, but they do have some size that, again, this will be a, a, a somewhat like-for-like comparison. And so if Flory puts up big numbers tonight – He's doing so against a guy that's going to like a, a Division One top hundred level program. So uh, tonight will be a good litmus test for him, and I have no doubt he'll pass it. Rick, besides tonight, uh, what's on your agenda here coming up the next couple of weeks? So Ben Davis and Lawrence Central tomorrow night. Uh, that's kind of our final pre-Christmas game, and then I go into hibernation for about four and a half days. Then, from an ISC perspective, we will produce. 29 games uh, between Tuesday and Friday. I will be on the call of 12 of them. So we have uh, one-off games, so to speak, against uh, Cathedral and Warren Central next Tuesday, Anderson and Cardinal next Wednesday. But we'll also have the Paul Logan Classic. There you go, Jake. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday from North Central. I do, too. Uh, Then we'll have the Hall of Fame Classic, as Kevin pointed out, on Thursday and Friday, and then the Paul, uh, the Phil Cox Memorial Tournament up in Kokomo will have nine of those games next Thursday and Friday, and local teams involved in that include Kokomo, Aaron Catholic, Warren Central, Center Grove, and Brownsburg. Hey, Greg, since you mentioned Paul Logan. Bunny, Rakestraw. That's right. Since you mentioned Paul Logan, and I have told this story before, but I want to repeat it because I, I, I want to repeat it virtually anytime his name comes up. Paul Logan, who was one of the very first – um, COVID casualties when COVID first kind of hit. Um, it was the athletic director, beloved athletic director at North Central High School. He was an assistant football coach when I was in high school and was absolutely like just one of those guys that would do anything for any kid. Yep. And I don't know, you know, maybe more has been made of this since, but I don't know that a lot of people realize this. When Paul Logan got COVID, and ultimately, you know, passed from it. There was speculation or medical theory that perhaps his complications with COVID was complicated by the fact that in the early 90s, and I want to say 93, there was a fire at North Central High School in the gymnasium area that started with wrestling mats, and a student had started it, and it kind of went from there. And as everybody was out standing there and the fire trucks were rolling in and everybody did the fire drill Paul Logan went back into the school and he went back into the school because he realized that there might have been special needs kids who were in a separate classroom that had mobility issues that he was worried would not have been able to get out so he went back in under very adverse and terrible conditions to make sure that those kids all got out. And I, I believe they had already all been removed. But the fact that he went in there and put his own life on the line to go in and ultimately had smoke inhalation that caused him a lot of lung problems at that time says everything that you need to know about a guy that did everything he could in any situation for the betterment of kids and every single kid. And he was the one that thought about every kid across the board and did whatever he could and the crazy, i would say jake the crazy thing is that's one of many stories you know for paul not not there's none that are better to that level or extreme or a life-threatening scenario like you're potentially talking about but that's that is the quintessential paul logan story and there are thousands of people that went through north central 
or hundreds of coaches because of Paul's work with the Indiana Football Coaches Association that would tell a variation of a story like that about how Paul helped them, which is why that was such a tragic loss two and a half years. I recall um, back when Derek and I did a show together, we had a guy that used to call in all the time named Nick Coleman, and he would always say everything, and he was a, he became a beloved caller of our program, and Nick would always say something was varsity. You know, we'd talk about anything and say, buddy, they are varsity. Well, Nick uh, got ill and, and got cancer, and when he went into hospice, I thought, you know what, we got to get him a varsity jacket. I mean, he's varsity, right? Nick is varsity. And then I thought, wait a minute, his initials are NC. And I called Paul Logan because he was athletic director, and I said, Paul, I don't know if you, if this is even possible. But and I explained the situation, and I said, how hard would it be for me to buy an NC varsity jacket that we could give to Nick? And Paul Logan said, Where are you right now? I said, Well, I'm at home. And he said, How far do you live from North Central? I said, Well, like ten minutes. And he said, Okay, I'll meet you there in fifteen minutes. He wouldn't take my money. I mean, the guy was. He was a larger-than-life personality with a larger-than-life heart, and so uh, I appreciate you bringing him up today so we can talk about him, Greg, because people today getting set for the holiday season, if you can do a little something for people over the holiday season that exemplifies the life Paul Logan lived, then it'll be a happy holiday for everybody. The other thing I'll point out, and I know we're up against it time-wise, the other thing I'll point out is that the family was asked, hey, what's the proper tribute for Paul? do Do you want to put his name on the football stadium? Uh, and or the the other alternative was you know the new field house you know that is going in and the family quickly said the field house because Paul didn't just care about football he cared about every student every athlete at North Central and so that way his legacy lives on in terms of not just the football program but every every part of athletics at North Central that's where Paul Logan's memory properly belongs. Yeah, he was the best, man. He was the best. Some awesome stories. Uh, Greg, enjoy the hibernation when you're able to do it, right? You got it. For me, a a four-and-a-half-day break is is like a month for others, so I'm looking forward to uh, going into hiding as of uh, late Wednesday night. Rick, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and the fam. Same, fellas. Take care. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Nine o'clock hour in Indianapolis. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline to talk about the Pacers that get step, uh, get set, I should say, for a pretty critical three-game step on the road. We'll explain on that. Tony East joins us from uh, SI and Forbes Sports. Of course, longtime Pacers scribe. Tony, I'll begin with this. I had mentioned that this is an important road little jaunt for the Pacers. That sounds ridiculous in December, but Kevin and I were talking about it. You know, just at a time when they're starting to slide a little bit and maybe reality's kicking in, it seems like this could be an opportunity for them to regain some confidence footing. Going to be tough sledding, though. You agree? Yeah, 100%. You know, these are three tough, physical, playoff-caliber opponents, uh, two of them being near the top of their conference in Boston and New Orleans, and Miami's won four games in a row. And, you know, at practice yesterday, Rick Carlisle and the players were all talking about how, for the Pacers specifically, not only is it a tough test because of who they are, but they're all physical teams, and that's something the Pacers have you know, not necessarily been the best at, but it's a good opportunity for them to get better at squaring off against those teams, getting better at playing against that style of basketball, right, closer to a playoff atmosphere. And to your point about, you know, them being on a slide, they haven't won two games in a row since the middle of November, right? It's been almost a month since hmm. then. They keep slowly falling and falling and falling a little farther in the standings. They're not making up any ground. And, you know, th- th- it's going to be really tough to do that on a trip like this. So, yeah, th- they are coming closer to – reality, what preseason expectations, whatever term you want to use. And it's going to be 
really challenging for them to to catch up to that on this trip. But that said, they have been playing pretty well outside of clutch moments recently. Yeah, it's going to be at Boston tomorrow night, at Miami Friday, and then uh, the 26th at the Pelicans there. So very tough three-game stretch coming up on the road for the Pacers. Again, Tony East is with us. Uh, Tony, I would say outside of the defensive end of the floor last year, the biggest issue was just end-of-game situations. This team really struggled when it got to those clutch moments. We've seen that flare up here in a few recent games. What are you seeing at the end of games from this team? Yeah, recently it's definitely been the defense that's the biggest problem uh, at the end of these games, ironically. So, you know, their, their biggest issue in general, it felt like early in the season is the problem at the end of these games, right? And, and I think the first time you saw this was that Nets game that has kind of changed the tide of their season a little bit when they were playing the undermanned Brooklyn team and gave up you know, 20-something points in the last four minutes. And since then, they've just really struggled to stop anybody down the stretch of games. Miami was finding a way to score when they needed it, and the Knicks scored a bunch of scored 11 points in two minutes uh, on Sunday. You know, they, they've really been struggling to stop teams when the game slows down. And for a team that takes a ton of pride in, in, in running in transition and playing really fast and trying to push the ball down your throat at every opportunity. It's really hard to do that when you're taking the ball out of the basket every time you're done with defense. And so when the game does slow down naturally anyway, they just really fall into this trap of, you know, they're playing slower on offense, which doesn't cater to their style as much. And then they're, they're struggling more on defense because they're, they're not naturally a good defensive team. They're taking the ball out of the basket too much. Teams are spraying it out for these threes that, the Pacers can't keep up with because their point of attack defense has been so bad. So many errors that kind of all keep piling up on each other and snowballing to be, you know, time of the season-y about it. <laughs> and it's really killing them at the end of these games. They've got to defend better. Tony, who are there right now? Who are the Pacers' two best wing defenders? Gosh, uh, Aaron Neesmith's got to be one of them. He's done very well in that role this year. He's got... Uh, uh, on a roll on offense right now as well. He's really surprised me uh, with how effective he's been all season, really. Uh, you know, leapfrogging his way into a starting spot. And, and I guess if you made me answer it right now, the second one would be Chris Duarte. He was a good defensive player last season, but hasn't been the same guy on either end this year. Obviously, he missed a month and a half with that ankle injury, so it's hard to say. But you know, neither of those guys are classic wing stoppers just they're, they're both you know six five six six so they they can't guard a bunch of size they can only guard some of the smaller wings consistently they've done a good job to slow down everybody but they don't have a ton of what you think of as wing stoppers on this team i think those are their two best options what about Nemhard? Nemhard has done a very good job he also uh is, is on the shorter side and he's even a little skinnier than both of those two and uh, i think he's done better and impressed me the most when he's defending guards which they they often put him on a guard Recently, with the cross-matching, right, like Buddy Heald is drawing wings with Nembard drawing guards in uh, a lot of recent games. Uh, not that Nembard's not a good wing defender, but I, I would put him behind the, the other two guys that I said. Again, Tony East joins us here, T East NBA on Twitter. Um, this is probably the healthiest the Pacers have been maybe all season. If you look at you know how things are from Duarte being back, you know Turner missed early in the season. Um, you've had a little kind of nicks and bruises for some other guys. Um, how would you handle the rotation right now? You know, it seems like a starting lineup of Halliburton, Heald, Neesmith, and Turner. Those four seem to be kind of locked in. How would you handle that fifth starter and then what, what you're doing bench-wise? Yeah, this is something Carlisle's talked about all year, that you, know, you have to kind of assess every game when you watch this team, and even as a player, is they have a ton of lineup fluidity that is based on their matchup, which makes it they're really tough to exactly pin down what their best rotation is because it does depend on the opponent sometimes. With that said, yeah, the four guys you just said have, have started a lot. Nembard has obviously been starting every game for a while, and then it gets tricky, right? It kind of depends on a lot of things. Some games they want Nembard playing a little more point guard until McConnell plays a little less. And Chris Duarte's got to play, but how much? You know, is he worth playing over Nembard or Nismith that night? Do they want Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith to be their backup five, right? Isaiah Jackson just got a few DNPs. Jalen Smith is now a backup five instead of a starting four. There's a lot of factors that go into who plays and who doesn't matter. It's going to play every game. There's no question about that. But there, there's 11 guys in the mix. you got to add in O'Shea Brissett, who just played uh, on, on Sunday against the Knicks as well. Only three minutes, though. He seems like a guy who, if they tighten up the rotation down to 10, he'll be the guy who loses out and is, is the guy out of the rotation. But it wouldn't surprise me if McConnell 
lost some minutes going forward, and they, and they decided to turn to Nembard as the backup one a little bit to try to get everyone else in there so they can get some defense on the wing and get some forwards and size on the court. But I, I think that you know the starters they've been rolling with, plus Smith, Jackson, uh, Duarte, Matherin, and, and McConnell are going to be their second unit for sure, and Brissett will sprinkle in some minutes here and there when they can. But it's tough. They've got a lot of guys who are worthy of minutes, young and developing. And for a team that is trying to develop more than anything this season, you, you want to play those guys. So I do not envy the task Rick Carlisle has in trying to pick who he's going to play every game. And I don't envy the players trying to you know, figure out what to do in new lineups every game, it seems like, because they're playing 10 or 11 guys every night. You know, Tony, for me, the one thing that's been – concern's the wrong word, but that I've been interested by, you just touched on it. Uh, I've been a huge proponent and fan for a while of Isaiah Jackson and the athleticism that he brings to the Pacers, but his minutes are diminishing. Is that circumstantial in terms of matchups, or are they starting to send a message to him that it's time to kick it into gear? He did have a small little stretch where he was struggling, and I think for him, that you know, he he goes through these stretches where he looks great. He's focused on the simple things. He's you know doing the stuff he's really good at that got him here, and then. The second he, he looks like he's trying to add something to his game or work on something in the game, he looks a little less effective. And I don't, I don't think it's about sending a message necessarily, although he has gone through ways of effectiveness this season. I mostly think it's a consequence of you know, the other rotation change they just made, which, is, which in itself is pretty seismic that they, they pulled Jalen Smith from the starting five. And they, they, they came out and said it right when they announced that he was you know, signing with the team in, in early July. This is our starting power forward. And after 27 games, Jalen Smith out of the starting five. Now, he came back into it when they played the Cavs, and the Cavs start two big men as well. And Isaiah Jackson was excellent against the Cavs, one of his best games in a while. Uh, and now he's probably going to be back in the rotation for uh, presumably going forward. But, you know, it seems like their starting lineup going through its own changes has kind of affected Jackson's minutes and how they get him on the floor because now there's less minutes available for you know, the backup, backup, backup big spots for Jackson to play. So it's, it's hard for them to find minutes for these guys. Goga has been able to play for years because they've had so many bigs on the team, and now they have a ton. But they just traded up to get Jackson last year. To me, yeah, I don't. I agree with you that concern isn't the right word, but I feel like they have to almost get him minutes because he has this unique skill set none of the rest of their bigs have. He's very switchable and mobile on defense, which is so valuable in the NBA today. And I, I think he's a guy you explore his growth and try to get him out there all the time because there's just no one else like him and they gave up you know some stuff to, to make sure they got him last year now they've got to actually play him on the floor this season tony it's so funny to me i may be the last person alive that believes this but i really do think that if the opportunity was there for, on a roster somewhere where he could get regular minutes that goga has a spot in the league and I do, I, I, I really do believe that there's a team that could take advantage of what he brings to the table, and that it's not the fault of the Pacers or Gogot that just as you mentioned, there's kind of a logjam in the way they play as well. But I think he's got some skill, quite frankly. He, he showed it last year, right? Like after the the trade deadline when Turner was hurt and they traded away Sabonis, and their only bigs were Smith, Batadze, and Jackson. He played every, almost every game for the rest of the season outside of when he was dealing with an ankle injury and was, was pretty effective, right? He was a good backup center for that stretch that made you think maybe he'd be in the mix this season if, you know, Turner wasn't on the team or they didn't end up keeping Jalen Smith or whatever ended up happening. I think the biggest consequence for him right now is he reads the game, the stuff he's good at, uh, naturally kind of favors a slower-paced team. And I think that uh, of his skills, he's not very fast, right? That's certainly one of his weaknesses of his game, and so on a Pacers team that's just flying down your throat, playing fast all the time, it's a little harder to fit him onto the team in terms of actual play style, but I agree with you that you know, he, he does read the game pretty well. He is kind of this defensive enforcer. It, it makes all the sense in the world to me why he doesn't play on this team, but I do think there is are other teams, excuse me, where he could play or be at least you know their backup center in their rotation. Again, it's Tony East, T East NBA on Twitter. Tony does an outstanding job covering the Pacers for Sports Illustrated and several other outlets. Uh, Tony, do you think the organization's opinion has changed at all on Buddy Heald at the trade deadline and or Miles Turner at the trade deadline? Uh, you know, I think that you have to consider your start a little bit if you're the team, how those guys are fitting and playing. To me, though, you know, they, they said before the season they're taking a longer-term approach to team building. I wouldn't think that 
you know, a 500 start would, would sway where you are in your opinions from at least my seat. But at that said, you know, especially in Heald's case, he's really close with Tyrese Albert, right? That has to matter in building planning. If Tyrese likes the guy, you, you, you know, you keep them around or you, you know, see what the thoughts are with him being moved. And with Turner, of course, he's having the best season of his career by quite a bit. Uh, and it's proven to be a good fit with, again, Tyrese Talton and, and Nick Matherin, who are the core of this team. So I think the fact that they're both playing well matters more than the team's surprising start, if that makes sense, in terms of if any opinion would change on them in, in the front office or uh, what it would take for them to be moved, things like that. But I still think that, you know, they said before the season it's a new era. They're, they're taking a not-year-to-year approach. It's a longer approach to team building. And their two best players are 22 and 20 years old, right, or their two most uh, important to the core players, I should say, are 22 and 20 years old, right? Like they, they still should be thinking long term to me. And I get that they've had this surprising start where they're, you know, in the play in picture and a threatening team every night who's competing with good teams and, you know, a 500 team with, with vets who are playing well. But I still think that the best approach for them should be what it was before the season, which is continue to think long term and see what's out there. If and when, Tony, they do move either Buddy Heald or Miles Turner in the next couple months. Um, I think draft picks is honestly where a lot of our minds kind of goes towards. The Pacers already have three first-round picks for next year. Is there such a thing as like too many first-round picks in a draft, or like how are you kind of looking at possible return on either of those guys? They're already close to too many, just given that you know. But D. Smith, Smith, and Halliburton, that's three lottery picks from the 2020 draft. Duarte from last year, right? Matherin from this year, uh, plus other guys in the mix that are young on their team, like Jackson, for example, like Brissett, if he sticks around, like an Embard, who was the second-round pick this past year. I just named eight guys. Like, if you, you can't even fit three players into your team, right? They, they wouldn't be playing on the court, and no, no. He was the, maybe the right pick given their roster at the time, but like we just talked about, how Goga can't even get on the floor, and for him the issue was that there wasn't enough minutes for him to play. Like they, they, that situation is really tricky. So adding more picks just makes that even more complicated for this team. So yes, I agree with you 100 percent that if they do go into trade seat or you know sell a player, whatever terminology you want to use, go into trade season to looking to move a vet, I think that. First-round picks, obviously, they're valuable. You can flip them, but maybe ones that are farther out in the future would make more sense to the Pacers than more immediate ones, so they can you know, either be able to trade that pick themselves over the years or you know, use that pick when their team isn't as log-jammed with already a bunch of young players who are worthy and deserving of minutes. I think for the Pacers right now, you know, young players under contract or you know, other movable pieces and flexibility would be what they would prioritize. I, you know, I keep going back to when it, when it comes to like stockpiling picks, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when Boston was doing that, right? And like in the like, I think sixteen, seventeen, they had a ton of second round and first round picks, and it just gives you flexibility to to miss on a few, if you will. Uh, and then if you can get <laughs> Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, it works out, right? <laughs> but uh, safety and numbers, I guess. At T East NBA is the Twitter account for Tony East, and again, SI Pacers and Forbes Sports among other places where you can read his work in covering Indiana. Tony, appreciate it. Happy holidays to you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Happy holidays to you as well.